Welcome to the Everyday Bow Hunter. I'm your host, Mike Manley, retired Green Beret turned bow hunter, joined by my brother Dan Zemer, who's mastered the art of hunting from the ground. We're here to share tips, stories, and talk gear, all from our unique points of view. Whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned bow hunter, I think you're going to like it. So let's go. Hey, and welcome to the pod. This is Mike. This is episode one. This is the beginning of a new podcast, The Everyday Bow Hunter. I hope, I hope you like it. Uh, we're gonna see, we're gonna see how this thing turns out. I got, of course, I'm here with my brother Dan, as the intro stated, and uh, we are uh, just like you, everyday bow hunters, and that's what this podcast is about. Uh, we're gonna talk about everything bow hunting that we can. It's gonna be a little different. I think uh, I think you're going to see this is a little bit different than other podcasts. We have a, a different perspective than a lot of other other people. Uh, I'm a I'm a former Green Beret. I bring my military perspective to this. Dan's a ground hunter, and he he takes things from a very different perspective. Um, we've been hunting together for the last so this year. This season's going to be 14 years, Dan. Wow, can't believe it's that long already. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you've. It feels good to have you home this long. See, I was, I was thinking about it earlier today, and I said, wow, that's 14 years that we've been hunting. Uh, and you guys obviously don't know uh, Dan, I, my my dad, our dad, and uh, a assorted bunch of friends and family. Uh, we all hunt archery together, and uh, we hunt mostly in the, the mountains of central Pennsylvania, and uh, we have a blast doing it, and uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We have a lot of fun. Um, we screw up all the time, uh, but we've we're here to learn uh, and and take some of the lessons we learned and and maybe help you out a little bit. So uh, hey, that that's just the half of it right there is you got to screw up. I mean, you're only going to learn lessons. It it's only going to make you a better hunter to screw up moving forward. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, also, uh, I'm the owner of archeryhunting.com and the Everyday Bow Hunter. Uh, Everyday Bow Hunter uh, on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you name it, uh, whatever platform I can get on, that's what we're on. Um, so, uh, this podcast is an extension of all those different channels and, uh, and the website. So, uh, probably hear us talk a lot about it through the time on the on the podcast, but uh that's that's where we're we're coming from and and what we have to offer and and hopefully it'll be worthwhile. Hey Mike, I uh I know you have a little bit of a uh, an intro on your website as to who you are. I mean, I think we should probably dive into that a little bit more. I got some questions I'd like to ask you and uh and go from there if that's okay. Let's do it. All right, so how old were you when you enlisted into the army? I was 20. Okay. So you were out of high school a couple of years and then you enlisted. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, when did was... you know you wanted to enlist and, and what made you choose the army over all the other branches in in the military? Rambo. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> you watched Rambo and it made you want to... 
Hey, hey, you know, I, my my buddy Sean and I would go out in the backyard and freaking whip each other in the back, just like First Blood, the first one. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I want to be a Green Beret. I was serious. That's I, I thought that was the that was that was the heat. I was like, that's what I want to do. I was an idiot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, but the thing so... that drove the thing that drove me to join was. Um, I'd come out of high school. I didn't have, uh, really a pot to piss in. And I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And, and I think, you know, I was like, you know, maybe I can go in and, and get a few years, make, uh, get some college money. So I did the, what I called the two year meal deal back then you could join for two years and get $17,000 for college. And so, wow. yeah. And I, I, yeah, of course I stayed in for 21 <laughs> I was gonna say two two years turn into the long haul, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, uh, it's because I, I end up loving it, and uh, so I stayed. But yeah, I was I was also I just I was not happy with uh, you know our home life wasn't necessarily the best back then, uh, but so I was like I yeah. I want to I want to get out and do something different and and it being a great thing. Yeah, I mean we're eight years apart. Uh, I was very young. I mean, seven, eight years old. I guess I truly didn't understand what you were doing. I mean, I remember vividly the night you left, uh, dropping you off at the Howard Johnson and saying goodbye because I looked up to you so much at that age. You, you know, you were like my idol. I followed you around everywhere you went, and that that was pretty rough. But now looking back, I mean, you're my hero. So, I mean. I'm so damn proud of you, man. Like it, it's, it's amazing what you've accomplished, but on that note, so while you're enlisted, uh, what made you decide to join the rate, go airborne and then, you know, move on to the Rangers. I just had a thing where I wanted to, I wanted to do all the hardest stuff. I wanted to show everybody that I could achieve and, and be the best of the best. And I said, I'm going to go and do it. I went, you know, I went to Ranger School first, um, way back in 1992. Uh, went to Air Assault School, went to Airborne School, and uh, it was just like I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do more. It was kind of push myself as hard as I could, and that was kind of the the route I was taking. So, being a Ranger at that point, is that what made you go for Special Forces, like that? You saw it, and you were like, there, I, there's another level to this. I, I'm going for it. Well, actually, at the time, uh, I, was, I was running a platoon, infantry platoon, and I was, you know, squ- uh, not running the platoon. I was like a squad leader or whatever. But I, I felt like I was babysitting all the time. Uh, in the hmm. weekends, guys were just that, that didn't like the military were constantly screwing up, getting drunk, getting in fights in the barracks. I was constantly picking up the pieces and I said, I wanted to be around other guys that wanted to be in the army too, that wanted to do the hard stuff and wanted to excel at it instead of with yeah. half the people I was with. Now I was with some great guys. Don't get me wrong. I had some awesome dudes that I was with in the infantry. Uh, and I was in the third of the three, two, five in Vicenza, Italy. And I was like, you know, this this is great, but I, I I want more. You know, I want more, and and uh, I had to be- I had to beg my wife to to like please let me go for special forces. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure that didn't go over so well. Well, the best thing that ever happened to me was she she was working at the coffee shop, uh, Baskin Robbins slash Cappuccino Bar on base, and a bunch of 10th Special Forces group guys walk in, and she's like, "Hey, um, my husband keeps asking me to go Special Forces. Do you guys are you guys gone a lot?" They were like, "No, we're home all the time." Totally, totally lied to her. So I'm like. These guys are awesome. And uh, it was like six months later, I was in selection course. So okay, so, that's how she started. So once once you joined the Army now, I, I guess I kind of got ahead of myself with Ranger Special Forces. Uh, so when the Persian Gulf War started, you were still a private, correct? PFC? Yeah, when I went over, when I went over, I was a PFC. Okay, so Desert Storm, yeah. And okay, so starting with the uh, Persian Gulf War, how many different conflicts did you deploy to, and elaborate what your missions were on each deployment? <laughs> I know it's a lot, yeah. Um, Desert maybe, Storm. Maybe I was going to say maybe where, what, what were you? Like Desert Storm or uh, Persian Gulf? Okay. Desert Storm. You were PFC, and then. Move yeah, forward was, from there. Okay, Desert Storm. I was uh, I was a PFC, and I ended up. I got specialist E four when I was over, right before I came back. I think, um, I got promoted to E four. Um, but I was there in ninety, uh, ninety one, and uh, then I went, did the whole special forces thing in ninety five. Went to qualification course and stuff, uh, ninety six. And I'm thinking, and then by, uh, I think it was, I was, I went to, I went to fifth group, fifth special forces group. I was in alpha company, a a one five for those who know what that is, the SIF company. And, uh, we ended up going to Jordan, uh, which wasn't, you know, it was just a, uh, what they call a J set. We'd go over and train Jordanian special forces and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool. Um, then I came came back, and then I went to uh, went to Sephardic, which is the the special forces kind of counterterrorism school. And then I went to in two thousand uh, two thousand one. I went to uh, Christmas right after Christmas of two thousand into two thousand one. I went to Kosovo and. <laughs> was from Kosovo basically from that December day after Christmas until uh, like, I don't know, it was April, May, something like that. It wasn't a long trip. So I was in Kosovo there. We did some combat ops, but kind of, sort of, you know, we, we did, you know, we raided some houses and, and stuff, but it, when it compares to the stuff it did in Iraq and Afghanistan, it was, it's not even comparable. Uh, back then I thought it was cool and it was something special, but it wasn't anything big. But I, I went to Kosovo Came back and of course the nine eleven happened, and I was in uh, you know uh, fifth fifth special forces group, which was you know our tar our area of operations is the Middle East. So when Afghanistan went down, the first ones to get deployed over there was fifth special forces group. You know I wasn't with the the horse soldiers that were up north in northern part of Afghanistan. We got deployed uh, to a, a little island called Masira Island. Off the coast of Oman and uh, launched into southern Afghanistan, well, into central Afghanistan, into Kandahar, and uh, into, you know, 
right after Thanksgiving, early December of, uh, of 2001. So I was over Afghanistan then uh, for that, that first go-round with them. Um, did a bunch of great, great ops, some historic ops, uh, joint ops with uh, German uh, KSK. The, uh, who else was over there? Canadian Special Forces, uh, New Zealand. So we were all out doing ops wow. together. It was really cool. So, and then turned around, uh, started it. That really started all. I went and we deployed to uh, Djibouti, Africa, part of Operation Enduring Freedom as well. Um, and went went down there and uh, in Djibouti and um, had some stuff going on in Yemen and uh, and into uh, uh, Somalia as, as far as stuff goes there. And then but not really a lot, you know, it was mostly training for that trip. We did a lot of training, not a, a lot of ops. I remember being off, uh, we were in a helicopter on the coast, you know, flying over the uh, the Gulf of Aden there, going into Yemen. We were going to do, hit a target in the mountains of Yemen. And uh, all of a sudden they're like, hey, I'm going back. And they're like, why? They're like, they just killed a dude with a, with a Hellfire missile off of a, off of a uh, Predator drone. And I was like, what? <laughs> And that was the first time that had happened. That was the first oh, the, one. The drone thing. Yeah. And so that was yeah. the, that was a big thing because we were like, wow, they used a drone to kill somebody. That's freaking, yeah. I didn't know we could do that. You know? So it was like, wow. Um, you know, we had done, I guess, some of that in Afghanistan, but um, that was taken over for, for us doing an op. That was something. But then I went to, I was there for that. Then came back five months later. Um, leaving for the invasion of Iraq. We go over for the invasion. Um, that was five, six months. And they rotate us out pretty quick because when you're doing a lot of operations, special forces, they rotate you out quick. So you're you're not getting too burned out. Uh, Delta Force and, and uh, uh, SEAL Team 6 doing all their counter-terrorism uh, ops over there, they would do 90-day rotations because they're going so hard, those guys mm -hmm. need a break. Yeah. Um, so we would do like five, six months, depending. I think my longest trip was like uh, a little over eight months. And I did. So I ended up doing, after that, with the invasion of Iraq. Let me think it's through. Invasion of Iraq. Uh, then uh, back, a trip after that into Baghdad. Another trip into Baghdad. Trip up in north, northwest in Rabia. And then... Uh, and then the last trip into Balad. Uh, so that was five there. So the other one, six, seven, eight. Desert Storm, nine, if you want to count them on. Nine, nine different tours. Wow. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I Like for me, I was at home. I was your brother. I knew you were always going doing this stuff. But for me, it was a blur. You know what I mean? Because I was, again, young and going through school and stuff like that. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around nine deployments. That's, <laughs> your wife's a saint. <laughs> That's she not is. what she signed up for. <laughs> you know she what I is. mean? Uh, and them guys came into that place and told her that they're always home. <laughs> and then she signed up for nine deployments. Wow. Yeah. But I was uh. very lucky because, um, I mean, we stayed at, at Fort Campbell for 14 straight years and that, and it, if, if somebody's in the army and they're listening to this and you're saying, yeah, right. You didn't stay in one place for 14 years or even an S if you're an SF and you're like, 
Special Forces does not let you stay in the same place for 14 years. Well, guess what? I stayed in the same place for 14 years. I had people that pulled strings for me, senior leaders and sergeant majors that, that, that got me out of stuff. I bet I did a lot of begging. And, you know, so when the time came that, that, uh, I'd done all that time and, you know, my, my kids were getting ready to start high school. My oldest boy's getting ready to start high school. I said, that's, that's time to punch out, man. It's time to, to move yeah. on to bigger and better things. And it was yeah. tough for me because I didn't want to leave. You know, I didn't want to leave the army. I loved, I loved special forces. It was, it was in my blood. It was everything. It was who I was. So, you know, being a green beret is, is, is an identity thing, you know? Yeah. So I guess on that, what was your, uh, what was your greatest accomplishment while enlisted? Um, I think my greatest accomplishment was, uh, was not really personal in nature as much as it was, um, the friendships that I, that I have, I, that I made there and I still have today. I have, I have, uh, you know, on my phone right now, probably have 10 texts from today. I, I did, I was a team sergeant of uh, ODA 535 for, for three straight tours together, mostly kept the same group of guys. Um, and even the guys that were there for one tour or whatever in the, or in this chat, you know, and, uh, we spend, you know, different time together. I just went out to, to a wedding in, in, uh, uh, San Diego back in October, last October, you know, I just was at the graduation of, of, uh, you know, one of the guys who, who passed away overseas was killed overseas his daughter's uh, graduation from college uh, with met up with a bunch of the guys there. So it's the, the relationships and the, and the friends that I've made for life is I'd say, and the fact that we're all still tight and that was my legacy. Cause I ran that team, you know, that was me yeah. and we're still, we're still friends today and, and we don't have a, I'm in charge relationship. We have a, we're, we're a bunch of friends relationship. And I, yeah. I think I value that more than anything. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's great to hear. That goes to show that it was worth something, you know. Mm-hmm. So on that, uh, so you said 21 years you were enlisted total. Uh, so what was your rank at your time of retirement? I was an E9 sergeant major. I was not a command sergeant major. Uh, in special forces, um, you start off as a regular sergeant major uh, and then if you're in charge of a battalion, not in charge of, but if you're the sergeant major for a battalion, then you're a command sergeant major. So my highest level of uh, responsibility was at the company level. I was a company sergeant major, had six uh, six teams with me, and I was in uh, Charlie Company, 4th Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group was my last assignment. I did my, I did my time there, my three years, and uh, or was it two years? I can't remember anymore. I guess it was two years. I did two years as a company sergeant major there. Started it from scratch. It was a brand new company. Uh, they were starting new companies up because of, uh, you know, they needed more people overseas because, you know, deployments were really demanding and stuff. And uh, so I put my stamp on that as, as the very first guy for that company. And uh, so I had a great bunch of guys there, too. So it was it was really hard to leave. It was hard. But... Uh, yeah, I- Especially was, with uh, what you said about the bonds that you made, that that's probably the hardest reason for leaving, you know. Now, it was an accomplishment for me because I, I, I did make Sergeant Major really fast. I was, when I came out in the Sergeant Major list, I was 36 years old, young guy. Wow. Uh, I, 
I had made every rank in the secondary zone, which if that's the earliest you can make it uh, for E7, 8, and 9. Uh, so I was very fortunate. It's great timing. I think if I'd have missed one year, I'd have been, might never, never even made sorry major in the time that, you know, 20 years. So I was yeah. very fortunate and, uh, and the retirement's nice. Yeah. So after, after you retired, you, uh, moved back to Pennsylvania. We had a, a family member, our grandfather passed. And I remember you guys came home, uh, for that. And, uh, it was hard. And then you guys went back to Tennessee and shortly after m mom and dad called and they're like, Mike, Mike and Tanya, are they're moving home. And it was to me the greatest thing because, uh, always loved our friendship and the bond that I had with you being my big brother and not, but so you got a job. Uh, you kind of started your own business, right? In the beginning. Yeah. I was hurt. You know, I, I had, uh, had a couple injuries, you know, from, from my time in service. Uh, I was like, I, I, I had built websites and stuff as a, as a hobby. And I said, I said, uh, you know, Tanya, I said, Hey, I think I can do my own business with this. And she was like, <laughs> okay. Um, so I gave it a go and, and I did that for, for about five years. Um, but yeah. it was a hard transition. It was tough. It was tough transitioning out from the army to, to being, you know, Mr. Regular Joe. It was hard. I had yeah. some what, what, are the, what do you guys call that? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, civilian. Be it, uh, going from yeah, that to civilian yeah. oh, life, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 So so after that, you, you kind of changed gears, wanted to get out of the house and n not be in your office all the time and stuck inside. So what did you do? Well, you know what I did. I went hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So... The, Okay. <laughs> well, hold on. Oh, I mean, I've got a list of questions. You just threw threw a wrench in there. No. Uh, okay. So now, right after I got out, I I uh, I rode motorcycle. We had our bikes. Uh, yeah. You know, did that and um. But uh, yeah, did that. We did run. You know, once I healed up a little bit and stuff, had got over my surgeries and stuff. Yeah. We were doing a lot of. Uh, half marathons and stuff and, and doing different yeah. 5k races and stuff. So we were really into that. Um, had a, had a good time, but, um, well, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to reconnect with you guys and, um, yeah. and that's why, you know, even when I was in Tennessee, I was prepping for it. When I was back at Fort Campbell, getting ready to retire, I went out and bought myself a crappy, my God, I don't even know how I survived. I, I should be dead. I got a, a climbing tree stand off of eBay. It was a Chinese yeah. knock Chinese knockoff no name. Didn't have a name. I was like, oh, this is like hundred and fifty bucks. This, this has got to be okay. And I bought uh you remember that bear bow I had? Yeah. That bear art bear. Oh the thing was heavy. I actually still have it. I I mean, that thing is oh my god, that's horrible. I tried to pull the string back. Oh, that's really right. I think I'll break it if I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> arrows right. would go like this. They were so slow. <laughs> Very low speed, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what are you doing now for career-wise? What are you doing now? 
2015, my wife told me I need to get out of the house because of being in the house. My, I, I had a partner that I worked with with my business, and uh, Daniel Vosser, his name was, and, uh, and he really was the, the developer, and I was the marketer side. You know, I do the content. I developed the website, but he was the, you know, we developed software, and he was kind of the software developer for me, and uh, he ended up being in a car accident. He was in, he lived in Switzerland. We were like working, doing the, the, the co-working thing overseas that people take for granted now. You know, back then it was kind of in its infancy, and um, he was in a car accident in Switzerland and broke his back. And he said, he said, Mike, I can't. That's gonna it's gonna be a year or more who knows you know I'm, i gotta recover from this but you know yeah. i'm gonna have to punch out and i said well let's sell the business and so we sold it and uh and i turned around and i said i'm gonna just i'm gonna maybe i can look at a a second retirement so i got a job at the state uh and that chemical safety program hazmat response uh, uh as uh being in charge of the certification program for for uh hazmat response teams in the state of Pennsylvania. Do you think your military career helped you with that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I was, you know, special forces. I was an explosives guy, and I was the, and I did the hazmat stuff for us to, to ship stuff overseas and everything and, and uh, the chemical warfare stuff, which is totally different from civilian hazmat. It's not even close, but um, yeah. it gave me a foot in the door. So help yeah. me help me talk my way in. Yeah, yeah. Had a good interview. All right. Well, uh, switching gears here a little bit. Uh, the the reason we're here. So archery, bow hunting. Yeah, yeah. bow hunting. <laughs> so you you had done a little bit when you were way younger. Like it was a family tradition, you know, rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. So what intrigued you most about archery hunting in the beginning? Well, honestly, in the beginning, I just wanted to to reconnect with you guys. You know, I I didn't yeah. know that I didn't know that I'd end up, you know, loving it and it'd be something that I just, you know, wanted to eat, sleep, and breathe. So it was just uh, that and getting out, and I found that it, you know, it became kind of, you know, therapeutic for me to. Yeah. You know, I was suffering from a little little PTSD there, and and then transition stress or whatever you want to call it from getting out and two different environments and so archery was a was a great way to get out and enjoy time with you guys connect and and uh and also you know decompress yeah so during that uh during those years what was your holy cow moment that that let me let me see how i have this worded here all right, so what was your holy cow moment that made it archery a passion and not just like a hobby? You know, what what was like that, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. This is, wow, you know. We all have that moment in archery. I think it was when I, when I shot my first massive five-point buck. <laughs> <laughs> massive five-point buck. When we're out there, when we're out oh. there tracking him down and we're like i think that fifth point is an inch i think we got him he's legal yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, that was me two years ago (laughs) it happens you know it's they can't all be 
giant I buck. I don't think it happened instantaneously. I just, uh, you know, it over time, it just, you know, every year I looked forward to it more and more, and it was, you know, um, yeah. And as you know, as you learn stuff, you know, I, in the beginning, it was so freaking dumb. Oh my god, I, I was complete and utter idiot. You know, I'd go out there, and I think everybody has that. You know, you go out that you know it is the first hunt of the season, yeah. and you go to climb a tree. And you get up there. Oh, you're, you're all like, thumbs, yeah. Man, my what the hell? I forgot this. I don't have that. You know, I'm I mean, you forget your you know, your pull up rope. You forget your release. You get. Some, I mean, it's something. you drop it's something, always something. Whatever. I think oh. we talk about Mark. Remember, remember, Mark was saying that first day was that last year. It had to be like two years ago, and he said, yeah. I, "I got down there. I was getting in the tree. I dropped my bow." I dropped my release. He did everything that you could possibly do. You know, and it's that first day thing. You know, if you don't if you don't yeah. practice and get yourself prepared, you're gonna you're gonna be all jacked up. And I when I first started out and I was I was going out in the woods and you know, uh I think I'd adequately scouted out that first spot I started hunting, you know. I got yeah. you know, initial scouting and, and I think my military you know, experience helped a little bit with that. And I, I think early on, I didn't use my military experience enough. I was, I was just uh, happy to be with you guys. And, and, uh, and it was like, uh, I found some, I found some deer crap and, and some, there, there's a, there's a rub. Oh, I'm in a spot. I, I got to hunt this spot. I mean, that was it. You know, yeah. that was found a new yeah. spot. And, and that was, you know, so it's just so that over time, when you have those moments where you say to yourself, Man, I've been doing this all wrong, and I need to, I need to do this now. And I think, I think I've done that every year for like the last five years. I think I've said it over and over again to myself. Man, I'm screwing this up. I need to do this instead. And I think that's evolved my my a, approach to hunting. You know, yeah. constantly evolving. And I don't think it's going to stop evolving. I think it's going to continue. You know, because I really, I'm really addicted to the, the habitat stuff now. The trying to, you know, really understand what they're doing all year long, uh, and that's. I think, I think that that's, you know, kind of, that obsession's, is gonna, it's gonna hurt me and help me because I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself in bad positions. I'm gonna blow mm-hmm. areas out that I shouldn't, and, uh, but I'm gonna Just learn some, somewhere, yeah, somewhere along the line, I'm gonna. I'm going to be lucky and some days I'm not. And, you know, the last couple yeah. of years we've, we've had some really lucky days and I think we're getting luckier and luckier here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, cause it I is, mean, cause it, it is, it is luck because that deer has to be in that spot when, even though you, you think, yeah, but you there. also have to do your homework and scouting's a, yeah. a lot of that, you know, I mean, you're putting yourself in them positions, you know, but I mean, like for me, I, you know, I was I was always really into it, but everything changed for me the day that I had my epiphany, we'll call it. We were sitting way out the top of the mountain, and I forget what was wrong. My back hurt, or my shoulder was messed up, and Dad had a crossbow, and he was like, just take this hunting. I'll, I'll sit, we'll set up a blind, and you can hunt out of that. And I'm sitting on the ground that night, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't want to climb trees anymore. I'm deathly afraid of heights. I spend 80% of the time up in the tree just with so much anxiety. Am I going to fall? Am I like, 
any little misstep. And then if a deer did come, I was sitting there shaking, trying to stand up and, you know, to lean out over to take the shot. It, it was a nightmare for me. And then I'd get down early, like just because I didn't want to do it in the dark because of my fear of heights. And then <laughs> like in the morning, and you know this about me, it's you guys, you guys would be getting up to go hunting and I would play it off like I was hungover or something. Really, I was just in there too ashamed to actually admit. I mean, I, yeah, I was hungover a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But, <laughs> no, but, I mean, the truth was I was too ashamed, too, you know, ego to admit that I was deathly afraid of heights. And I wanted to wait until the sun came up to go out and climb a tree. Once I honed in my ground hunting skills, my, my whole world changed and I've had so much success because of that. I've been killing at a pretty good rate here since I started getting on the ground. And oh, yeah. it, it, it just altered everything. I had to change yeah. entirely my whole way of hunting. And I love yeah. it because it was a great new challenge. You know, it was awesome. I'm totally envious of it uh, because I'm, you know, it's just something that I haven't been comfortable with. And we were just talking earlier that I got that little blind portable blind thing that you can put on the ground, yeah. you know, real quick yeah. around a tree or something, uh, when you're sitting on the ground. And I was like, yeah. that, I might not use it very often, but I'm, you know, I want to, and you know how it is, you go out to different spots yeah. and I don't care. You know, I have a saddle and I can hunt almost any tree, but yeah. you know, there's still spots that are just not conducive to being in a tree and it's, and being on the ground is, is where it's at. That, that, uh, at one spot that has that open field that that I uh, was hunting in, there's no real good trees around there, and it's a total ground spot. I just haven't, you know, well, I did have a blind in there, but that's a whole different story. But the, yeah, uh, I I, you know, I just, like the blinds, that, but carrying a blind around. Oh, is sorry, not, I, I cut you off. No, no, no. It's I, cumbersome. I, I, I and it, yeah, who wants to carry a blind it's, around? It's so. It's. I'll tell you what. Here, here's my thing. I like hunting out of a blind on days that I'm hungover. For <laughs> one, you're going to work your butt off to get it, or it's raining. You're, you're going to work your butt off so to get it in and to set it up, and the chair's heavy, you know. So till you get in and get all that set up, you just sweat it out any ounce of alcohol that was in you, <laughs> you know. But, no, here, here's my thing, in, in all honesty. When I stopped, true, I mean, I, I really don't even hunt out of a blind anymore. Once I got that tree seat and I put that curtain around me, it my field of vision, the blind, you're so, you can only see certain, you know, I guess that's true up in a tree with shooting lanes. You know, there are similarities there, but I don't know. I, I just prefer not to be in a blind. I mean, there's moments where the blind, again, rain, you know, it, it's nice to be dry. and But I, I feel like I, I can hear and see and feel i know that sounds a little silly but you could feel it happening you know better just silhouetting yourself with a, a big giant tree you know it's, it's mm -hmm. different excuse me yeah there's but, oh my god yeah. to talk about that that ground experience you know and i and i just want to i want to have some of that myself you know i want to have that that thrill of being that that close you know but yeah it's also about getting comfortable with it. And uh, I think that there's a lot of spots that, um, and for those of you who don't know, we, we, uh, 
we're we're mountain hunters and and, and we we tend to hunt mountains more than like ag or anything like that and, yeah. and we hunt in a low deer density area and it's it's tough it's really tough so when, when yeah our dad buy, always says it's like a needle in the haystack <laughs> yeah so it's tough so you really have to do your homework and when you can start like dan is killing them off the ground consistently uh that that there is that's a freaking major feat um and i'm very envious of that yeah and and uh and, you know i think uh you know i think that that we're really honing in a lot of stuff and we're getting really better and and i like i like the fact that that we hunt differently because of course that makes us uh have a little uh, different perspectives and we can learn from both of those yeah. things so i think that's good um, for sure one thing i do miss is the 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 field of vision out of a tree there just what you could see there's nothing like it that you know up there the bird's eye view we'll call it man it, i do miss that there's times where it's like man i just wish maybe i should go get hypnotized or whatever to get rid of this fear you know what i mean because it's it, dude it, it's debilitating you know yeah and well, you know I, you know how I it just, is when you are up in a tree and uh and you let an arrow go and then you go okay i'm gonna get down and i'm gonna go check my arrow see if i hit it and all this stuff and and you get down and you're like crap nothing looks the same where was that is that over here yeah you know and you're trying to try to regain your perspective and your and your you know oh where is that spot and then you have to look back at the tree and look up and go okay i was there this is the angle and trying to figure it out sometimes it can if that's why i tend to now i try to really mark my spots you know before i get out of the tree it's because I've done it too many times as like a dummy and get down that and, and illuminated illuminated knocks help that too because they stick yeah. up out of the ground because your arrow you know yeah but yeah I, I I definitely enjoy hunting now more than I ever have now that I hunt off the ground exclusively you know it 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 stoked a fire in me man it burns like I I can't stop thinking about different ambush spots and do you see how I threw ambush in there? <laughs> but you you know what I mean? It's man, it just it's like my head races all the time now. Where before, you know what my head was racing about? Climbing that tree and being scared. Mm. You know, yeah. I don't have that anymore. It's such it's like freedom, you know what I mean? I can truly mm. hunt now. It's it's awesome. I love it. Blessed, man. Yeah. And I I I've t- totally shifted, you know, my mindset of about how to approach the whole thing and I and and I've been calling it to myself and and on my on my on the blog, you know, strategic hunting. It's kind of it's a fancy word for saying I'm just going to be flexible when I hunt, and I I want to yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hunt a spot just to, we've done it for years, we've done it for years. Yeah. I'm not gonna hunt a spot just to hunt that spot, you know, just because historically we had deer come through there one time or so and so killed a buck here three years ago or, or whatever. You know, if I'm not seeing the sign, if it's not there, then, you know, I'm moving on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste yeah. my time and I'm going to, I'm going to try to I'm find. I'm guilty of it too. You know, yeah. It's hard because yeah. it's kind of the way we were brought up, you know, and, and that's. Well, you know, there was always like pre-designated hunting spots and, you know, oh, I'm going, you know, I'm going to here, I'm going there, I'm going there. Like everybody has their spot that they go to you know and yeah. it, 
I think those days are over now. Yeah, they're over. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I still, I still find myself when I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, where am I going to hunt today? You know, because I, I think about okay, the weather conditions don't line up. It's windy or it's cra or or whatever. The wind's coming from this direction. I don't know where. This is not a. This is definitely not a morning spot or whatever, you know, you're saying yeah. it just doesn't match up. And you're saying, what am I going to do now? Well, I, I now know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do, yeah. I'm going to do a, a scout to hunt or still hunting or whatever you want to call it, whatever label you want to put on it. And I'm going to follow that 80, 20 rule of scouting 80% of the time and, and hunting 20% of the time and try to make myself more successful. And I'm going to screw up a lot, you know, but at the same time, uh, I think and, I think could be more successful too. Yeah, I mean, with us, we're, we're hunting in a valley. Sorry, I had to get off my microphone here, but you know, morning hunt, evening hunt, thermals are going up as the day goes, and and you know, as sun sets, they're going to come back down. So you got to place yourself at the right spot on that mountain, and of course, where the deer are, not just you know. But, and I, and I think I think you bring up a great great point. And one of the things that that it's even tougher about mountain hunting and in a low deer density area is you have those spots where the deer they're bulletproof. When you have different winds and the thermals combined, you know as well those winds swirl all the time on that mountain on that you know the whole way down. It changes twenty six miles of mountain. You know we that we hunt and. And it changes constantly. And you could say, oh, we're going to have a west wind today at, at 10 miles an hour. No. Next thing you know, it's it's blowing it's blowing east from the east. And you're like, what the heck's going on? And it's because I mean, of the thermals and everything. I mean, last year when I shot my buck, uh, that whole day, the wind had been coming from the power line into my face. Right, like pretty much right before he come in, it shifted and it started coming down the mountain. And pushing towards you know the water down there and uh, either way i was good uh, you know but it was like it just it changes in that hollow or valley i should say not hollow in that valley so much it's especially when you get up closer to the top of the mountain it really swirls you know it's and crazy that's, you know and, and i experimented with with just just hunting the wind and and really neglecting my scent control and i think that was a mistake i think um yeah. I think I need to to make sure that I'm following, you know, good scent control protocol yeah. at, to make up for the for the when those winds do swirl and shift because it can happen even yeah. when you think you have it nailed down and you say, oh, I know exactly what's going to do, and then it it changes on you and you can't do anything yeah. about it. So you gotta make those adjustments. There's so many. I mean, I had uh, I had a couple of doe the one time that I'm like, oh. I'm going to nail a doe here, end of the season, you know, knock one down since I still had a doe tag. It was after I got my buck and I was like, oh, yeah. and we had a doe. And as these doe were coming right at me on the trail that I had trail camera out and they had come up and down that trail every day, same time. And as soon as they got like about 40 yards from me, they just kind of veered off and away and I could feel the wind going and i was like there you go i got yep. I done got, i was i was done but you know it was so subtle it was so subtle they just kind of nah, i don't like that i'm gonna go over here you know 
Yeah, so. I mean, you know, the only way to get better is just take information from other people, other hunters. I mean, listen to them. You know, implant little things from this hunter, implant little things from that hunter, and just as long as you're always learning and you're open-minded, you're not, you know, it, it, it's only going to make you a better hunter. I think that's the one thing that anybody needs to take away from this podcast is, is we're we're look we're not looking to say hunt exactly like we do. It's take no. the stuff take the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast, each you know each each pod and say oh, I can apply that to me and where I'm at. Oh, but this other yeah. thing they said that that won't work for me at all. So it does. It, right. You don't yeah. have to do everything. You just have to take the pieces and say. You know, because like I said, we're we're learning every day too. We're gonna make mistakes. Yeah. We're gonna say this is what I'm gonna try. This is what I'm gonna do, and we're gonna come back and say that didn't t- that didn't work at all. You know, another day we're gonna come back and say, boom, that rocked. We freaking tore yeah. it up. And and so it's 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 always a work in progress. You know, I think I was listening to, I was listening to like Dan Infault or somebody, and said, you know, at a he did eighty. 80 sits or some stupid number. Maybe it was like 60 sits or something through a season, early season, late season, the whole gambit had a real rough, I think he had a real rough year last year or something. He hit a couple and, and didn't, didn't recover him. And he was saying, you know, you, 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 all those sits for that, that five second interval with a deer that you're hoping you can get them. So we hunt over and over again. If we were all perfect in our techniques, you'd be going out there opening day nailing it yeah. and saying um, i'm gonna be watching football guys you go hunting you know yeah. so <laughs> i mean for for us that that one in a million we'll call it because like you said it's a low density area the volume of deer just aren't there but we hunt hard man and you get that one opportunity and if you blow it your next opportunity i we've already done three four days and didn't even see a deer and it it can be that hard and yeah. it's discouraging it gets you down new, it's yeah if you're a new hunter you're gonna be like screw this after a while you kind of just you got to get it in your head hey man this is way better than being at work <laughs> you know that's that's what it comes down to it's like and and, just, and also this is you're, you're, learning, <laughs> you're also learning something right you're saying well yeah. i thought this was the spot and it's not the spot you know, or it's humility, man. Lines, You're learning humility. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere along the lines, I thought that I would, you know, hook up with with a you know see a deer here at this particular time, and I was wrong. And now it's time to yeah. to move on to the next spot. You know, so I I personally think the greatest thing you could take away from hunting is the lessons that you learn, the the things that it teaches you. Where you get back to camp or your house or whatever, and you get back and you're sitting there and you're replaying things in your head and you're like, oh, that's the lesson. I get it now, you know, and it's it's only going to make you better as you go. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think we talked pretty good. 46 minutes here. Um, You think we wrap this first one up, put it in the books and kind of go out and let everybody know what they can expect moving forward yeah absolutely and you know thanks everybody for listening if there is anybody yet <laughs> we'll get there yeah we'll get done and and uh, dad will be like i listened to the whole thing and it's like <laughs> one, one view 
One view one of the view. podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, one's so, better than nothing. <laughs> so. so this is just an introduction, and uh, we, we appreciate every visitor, every viewer, uh, subscriber that we can get. Uh, please join us because we got a lot to offer and a lot coming on, and, and we're focused on you, the everyday bow hunter, and, and bringing uh, two different perspectives here, and, and probably in the future more perspectives than that because we're going to have, have some people on here uh, other than us. And uh, we're going to get a, a range of perspectives and, and techniques, and, and hopefully you can get something out of it. And uh, and also learn from from my military perspective and the way I'm approaching things and, and Dan's ground and pound deal, which I still want to try but can't quite do and and uh, and not good at. But um, and hopefully roll into end of the season here and uh, and help everybody be a little bit more successful. Yeah, be a little bit more successful this year. Was that uh, stumbling yeah. over that? So Let's um, put a bow on it, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, uh, everybody. Uh, hit that subscribe button, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, thanks, everybody.